ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome. I'm Tom. Uh, this is the Jack Quartet. Austin, Chris, Jay, and John. Give them another even warmer round of applause, please. Well, because, because, look, it's justified in every way, because not only there are very few quartets who could do what they're doing for all of us today, uh, there is nobody, in my humble opinion, who has played, I, I don't know, were all of you here th this afternoon for the one o'clock concert? Look, I mean, I've never heard anyone play those quartets uh, as, 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 as well as that. I mean, that is, it's the most astonishing revelation of what this music is, and uh, what they're giving to it is kind of exceptional. You give them another round if you like, I mean, I would, but it's, you know. Um, <laughs> What, what we're going to hear uh, this evening uh, are the second, third, and fourth quartets uh, in the order of four, two, and then three. There's kind of a reason for that, which we'll, which we'll come on to. Uh, before we start, I, I want to just quote something that Carter himself said about the whole idea of listening to music, because one of the things, Misha Donut's absolutely sensationally good notes in, in today's program are a wonderful uh, kind of deep dive into some of the things that are happening in the music. Uh, I don't mean nonetheless, but here's what Carter himself said. He said, everybody knows, for example, that Listening to Beethoven is not best done by cataloging themes. What counts in listening to music is following the grand line, its forward motion, its reversals and dramatic expressive moments. For music is primarily flow in time, and its unity parallels the various kinds of flow of events about which we have feelings and thoughts. So that gives a sense about what Carter is doing in the quartet here. His whole idea about the discourse of what's possible with these four instruments seems on one hand to take us a long way from the idea of a, as Goethe said famously, that it's a conversation among four rational people. Uh, you may have seen some of the way that the bodies and bows are twisted uh, this afternoon. There are times, I don't mean you seem irrational, but you know, there are moments in which, in which there's a great complexity of dialogue. And of course that's because Carter is asking questions of the medium at, at mid-century and beyond in the 20th century when he's trying to find a, an answer or at least a a series of questions through the medium of the quartet about what it means to be an individual, what it means to be a collective, and everything in between. That's the stage on which all of these quartets, if you like, are, are, are dramatized. Now, all of these ideas of who these players are as individuals and, uh, and, a, and a collective come together really in every bar of these pieces. And I want to just uh, return back to the first quartet for the first example we're going to hear. Uh, one of the things that's really important in Carter's music is what's called metric modulation, which is one of those pseudo-scientific terms that really only means that, that you use uh, rhythm, uh, well, let me try and do this. <laughs> so it's the idea of transforming one speed into another uh, seemingly by a sleight of hand. Now, what you're gonna hear is four absolutely individual uh, times that the, that the quartet are playing in. Uh, Austin's moves, I think at, his notes change every 10 triplets at, at a speed of uh, crotchet equals 120. Uh, Chris is five semiquavers. Uh, is uh, in crotchets, and John is playing uh, triplet, uh, triplet crotchets. They're all playing different, have I got that vaguely right? Okay. So um, the, 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 you're hearing different things at the same time. Through the 40 minutes of the first quartet, these, uh, these themes remain the same speed, exactly as we're going to hear, and yet the, the meter, the, the actual tempo of the surrounding music when we encounter them again has changed. So what Carter is doing is re-spelling these, these tunes that we'll hear now throughout the texture of the quartet. Is that vaguely clear? The, the point is he's using... No, it's not. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, well, the, the, the point is he's using uh, meter and he's using tempo as a way of structuring large spans of time in a slightly analogous way to the way that previous composers used the harmonic motion of different key centers. Right, let's hear, the, let's, let's hear, what, let's hear some music.
thank you. You know what to do. Come on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, right. So uh, the, the idea we've heard, there, you've heard four completely individual voices, individual themes, individual times, which will be in some sense uh, re resolved, connected together through the tissue of how the, the tempos relate to each other in the, in the rest of the first quartet. But the rest of the quartets take the idea of the, who these players are as individuals and who their parts are and makes, it, makes that even more fundamental to the composition. Now, in the second quartet, again, okay, I apologize for, for confusing myself and all of you with the idea of metric modulation. You, can, you guys can explain it better, I know. But in the second quartet, there's a really, really simple idea at its core, which is that all, of, all four of them have individual characters which are somehow maintained uh, throughout the dramaturgy of the 20-minute or so piece. Uh, they can be, Carter has a, a rather a, a longer way of summing it up, but in a way, uh, Austin is manic, uh, Chris is compulsive, uh, John, the viola player, is depressive, and Jay is hysterical. Th those, are, those are roughly the character types that, that, that Carter wants us to imagine uh, who they all are. Does that, is, that, is, is that useful to you, those, those character types that, that Carter uh, does describe? I know I've paraphrased him there, but this, I promise you that's the distillation of what he's doing. Is it useful to you as interpreters, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, this piece isn't driven just by time moving forward, but we have to each within that find ways that these different spans of time create a mood individually for each of us that stays really strong through the whole piece. We get influenced by each other um, in different parts, but we still stay true to our own kind of vibe throughout. And, and is, is that, I mean, is, is that what makes playing these pieces different to, to even the, the music of the, the late 20th century, which, which you also played? Do you feel this sense of individuation that you're asked to do, dramatically, musically, and in terms of every, every other dimension? Is that something that makes playing Carter, you know, what it is, what you're giving to all of us today, as opposed to playing, you know, a complete cycle of Bartok or a complete cycle of Tom Addis's quartets or whatever it might be? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, that dramatically is a good word because to me, the second quartet, for instance, is really just like a play that kind of works out over time and the way the different characters develop and the way he reveals different aspects of those characters throughout the piece um, and then bringing it to a climax at the end that sort of like makes a really jumbled kind of crazily, I don't know, democratic conversation that, that begins to happen at the end of the piece. Uh, yeah, it reminds me more of theater than of musical form in some ways, even though we still use as a four-movement structure, like most quartets. It's a beautiful way of putting it. Again, that the, the idea of instrumental theater is essential to the way Carter composed this music, all of this music, and everything we're going to hear tonight. Let's hear the opening of the uh, second quartet, and I'll just remind you of those characters again. Manic, compulsive. So the second violin is timekeeper and is trying to kind of get everyone sort of together in some way, trying and... I'm not saying failing, but you know, the, the dramaturgy of the, the quartet. Um, uh, hysterical, cellist, and a depressive uh, viola player. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, one of the things around making these pieces work for all of us and, and for you as a group is the relationship between you know who you are as individuals and what everyone else is doing. I can see, uh, John, behind your shoulder that, that um, you can see everyone else's part too on those electronic devices made by a company in Cupertino, uh, probably. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so, so you know you, you can literally see uh, as you're performing, thanks to thanks to iPads, what, what, what's happening. But uh, when you're you know when you're putting it together, what's the relationship between having to get all these notes kind of in your system as a viola player, cellist, and violinist, and then, you know, bringing it to the rehearsal room and understanding the, the flow of the, of the whole piece. Yeah, well, I mean, we tend to play complicated music in general, and so there's a process for just trying to communicate how we're going to do that. Um, but like you were saying before, part of what makes this piece and so much of Carter's music interesting is that uh, the quartet, like typically in other music, we're trying to sound like one instrument. Um, and seeing all the parts on the score allows us to have the flexibility uh, to sort of mess with that according to our characters. Uh, so it means then that the, the common questions that, that, well, I mean, probably a lot of you here, anyway, you know, the, the quartets at Wigmore Hall, uh, what uh, we're often looking for as an audience and what the quartet members themselves are often looking for is a blend, homogenization, you know, what are we all saying together, making sure that the voices are absolutely, uh, obviously in tune as they are. But here it's, it's a different set of questions you have to ask and answer as a quartet in, in the, the discourse of this music. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, um, uh, there, there is nonetheless a moment, uh, as you said, Austin, through the, later in the piece, there, there are, well, right towards the end of it, uh, you'll hear the, the, the following passage. And this is a moment where you described it in rehearsal as a kind of freak out. And it's a collective freak out where everyone, all the characters come together. Uh, there is, however, I think a question about uh, what the nature of that resolution is, as we'll hear in the conclusion of the quartet. Uh, so this is the, uh, one of the, the a freak out climax and then a very different character in the conclusion of Carter's second quartet. Yeah, I would just add to that, yes, that um, with this freak out kind of comes as a climax of Jay's character, actually, and I think it's interesting. It's cadenza, right? Or he has a solo. Is that does it come out of the um, cadenza? Yeah, I think the so each of the movements kind of has a leader in terms of its role. The first movement is kind of led by my part, and then there's a short viola cadenza followed by the second movement, which is led by Chris's character, um, followed by the third movement, which is. Uh, followed by the cello cadenza, and then John's character leads the third movement. I have a solo cadenza following that, and then it's sort of a, a cello-led vibe to the fourth movement. And the fourth movement has this really interesting and kind of new thing happening um, where he's trying to create a sense of a continual cello rondo. And so we're going to play for you kind of the climax of that cello rondo. Jay's part does that frequently, kind of speeding, written out, speeding up, and slowing down. So in this case, he has a written out speeding up of everybody, um, and we're going to play sort of the climax of that bit. Uh, and following it, there is this really kind of questioning conclusion with everyone speaking out.
It's a beautiful left hand pizza guy. Can you just play your last four notes, Chris? Beautifully played. That's a very special sonority, those four notes. Uh, technically, it's called an all interval tetrachord because you've got, in those four notes, you can create all of the potential intervals that there are in the 12 notes of the chromatic Western scale. That sonority that Chris has just played is something that infuses all of these quartets. So it's just a, a kind of microcosm of the sound world that you're going to be uh, hearing uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to jump forward 12 years to 1971 and the third quartet. And this is going to be the second half of tonight's concert. Now, this piece, uh, the idea of uh, the players moving around, because the Carter here takes the idea of individuation to a new kind of level, um, because he pits... Um, are, we, are you going to do this? Okay, cool. Well, all right. I mean... Well, I don't have to. Um, okay, you're going to do it? Okay. So, so the third quartet, I'll stand in the middle like a kind of uh, ringleader, because uh, the, this, is, this is how Carter asked it to be staged. And so the quartet is uh, atomized into two duos. Uh, duo one, I th this is duo one here, is that right? Du duo one, uh, Chris and Jay. Duo two, uh, Austin and John. Uh, they have completely different uh, characters again. Uh, on my right, your left, uh, the, the, they're playing with a great deal of impetuosity, freedom and rubato. On this side, they play absolutely in tempo. Now, again, it's something which, if you want a structural plan of it and the kinds of things that Carter is creating, seem wildly complicated. He's, cre he's creating simultaneous rhythms of 64 against 63 sometimes, 21 against 20. The effect of it is not at all to make you think about, okay, what's going on, what's ticking along. It's all about character. Uh, and on this side, there are four characters you have. Um, uh, or, or is it, I think it's six. Is it six? Have I got that wrong? Four. Thank you. So, thank you. So, four on this side, six on this side. All, well, all that that means is that there are different characters pitted against one another throughout. And again, remember what Carter said himself. We as an audience are asked simply to be in the flow of time, in the flow of these different times and absolutely enmeshed in the discourse. That's what he wants us to enjoy. So to illustrate this, um, we've got a passage, I think it's from bar 140, uh, bar 152, and we'll just hear uh, what, the, what both duos are playing. At the, we're going to hear them individually first, and then we'll put them together, and you'll get the sense of... Uh, what's going on throughout this piece. And apologies for being in the middle. Don't look at me, look at them. Here's, uh, here's, uh, here's, here's duo one. Thank you, thank you. And uh, here's your two, what they're doing at the same time. That's the uh, music that's legerissimo, so uh, light and impetuous in characters you heard and hear, uh, a pizzicato giusto meccanico. and uh, together.
And, you know, that, that's a 30-second fragment of a discourse that's happening for the 25 minutes or so of, the, of this whole quartet. It demands an unbelievable feat of coordination. And as you see the kind of theatre and character that the players are all giving to, uh, giving to it and giving to us in the audience, that, that's all that you need to know in terms of just chucking yourself into the drama. Quick question for, for you is just, again, the kind of the rehearsal mechanics of this, because, because this is literally an example where you are invited as a quartet. You know, he wants you to be together occasionally, but he's absolutely firing you apart from one another. Yeah, well, we definitely take a practical approach to it, I think, first and foremost, which is to say that we, you know, divide up the bars and make decisions about how to show time to each other so that people can have individual freedom within that. I think having, still managing to have generally a collective group pulse where possible is the aim. Um, now, sometimes that's a group pulse that is not the same speed but lines up on downbeats. Um, so a lot of decisions are made where we change, honestly, the meter he's written it in. We can still play our parts with the right shape. Okay, um, right, okay, so, so you're finding ways to, because there are moments when, despite their individuation, where you, are, you need to at least kind of be anchored together at Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's mostly it's about getting it to hang off a common pulse, and uh, to me, the way it's written on the page is abstract to that. Uh, it's uh, more important to play the musical shape uh, apart from what meter we decide to show. So we make a lot of choices about meter, and then in rehearsal, change some of them to, for practical reasons, to make it work better, uh, feel better to show time against what we're playing. Look, 1971, this still feels like a, a wild arrangement for the string quartet, you know, even for Wigmore Hall. This is an unusual way to see a quartet, right, on stage. Is it, is it fun? I don't mean to be apart from one another, but I mean, it's putting together this kind of multi-dimensional drama, you know, a, a fun, uh, a, a thrilling process for you all as, as players. Yeah, I think this, um, this piece really benefits from this spatialization because we're really uh, a unit and they can be a unit and like the, the, um, it, the piece is so dense and there's so many notes happening, but somehow having that space in between gives us, makes us feel like we have, um, we, we can carve out our kind of niche within that. And um, yeah, it's always exciting because like sometimes we play it on bigger stages where we're even further apart yeah. and just staying together and making sure I can <laughs> see Cologne, you over Cologne there. Philharmony was an adventure. That was <laughs> That's a huge thing. potentially too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a, bit, a bit like the second quartet, but it's, it's, it's different, the conclusion of the third quartet. There, there is a moment near the end uh, where, the, the, where the, again, some kind of uh, unity breaks out, or at least the characters coalesce on this uh, completely uh, thrilling music. So it's another, another landmark for, for your listening in this piece, if you like. Um, as I say, it's a, it's a couple of minutes before, before the end. We won't hear the very end of the quartet, but this passage where they're all playing triple stops, so three-note chords at the same time, creating this... Uh, collective texture.
Thank you. Thank you all. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, the, the, the fourth quartet, um, there are, uh, Carter in 1986 takes his idea of structural polyrhythms to a new level, so you have 120 against 126 against 175 against 98 as uh, hypermetrical uh, units that are evolving throughout the quartet. I would once again simply say you need to forget that, not that any of you will remember it anyway, because the, the, the point in the fourth quartet is to throw yourself again on a discourse which is uh, a roughly a 25-minute span in four movements, and it's just another place on which to throw yourselves as Listeners, just as the players are throwing, throwing themselves in order to create the drama we're going to witness and be part of. Anything else you, you, any of you want to say about just the experience of what these quartets have meant to you as a quartet and also the sheer uh, astonishing feat that we're bearing, witness two of you playing them all in a single day, which is completely baffling. Just, you know, you're well, awesome. Per just personally, about uh, awesome. Carter, Carter was a real inroad to contemporary music for me. As, uh, as a kid, I heard these quartets in high school and was kind of blown away by... The, the sheer complexity of it, and I could hear the challenge in it, and so I always sort of saw them as a thing that I wanted to chase down and explore, um, and musically over time, I finally feel kind of ready to do it after years and years and years of playing 20th century music and having a strong practice together as a quartet. It feels great to explore these works that always had such a richness of both technical challenge for the player. It's amazing the degree of variety, contrast, character he creates without resorting to extended techniques almost ever. There's one soul punt in the entire five quartets. Everything else is, it's normal playing, just with, it's pushed to, to greater boundaries. Um, so those challenges and then alongside really amazing and interesting uh, musical challenges with the time and the phrasing and um, the blend of all of these things. There's really incredible textures to balance and play with as a string quartet. So it kind of has all the things that I look for in, in something that's like a big, a big thing to chase down. It has the richness. And it, it must have, uh, even with all the repertoire you've, you've given us here in the past and in general, I mean, this must have deepened your collective experience as a, as a quartet, right? The, the going through these pieces particularly. Yeah, I think, you know, Carter really explores every, all the different style uh, ways to relate to each other as individuals and you know as a collective and um so each quartet and each moment of this piece we're always in this kind of interplay that is is really rewarding yeah it's also just kind of been a great challenge to have this thrown down as to do in one day um we've been looking forward to it basically since jay and i joined the group two and a half years ago uh we kind of saw this coming, we agreed that it was, uh, if not a good idea, then a doable idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sort of have been, especially this season, aiming our trajectory towards this, which has been a great kind of collective goal um, to have drinks after. <laughs> Listen, thank you all of you. Not only uh, playing all the quartets, but talking to us uh, in the middle. They have an hour to prepare for the three quartets that we're going to experience this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Huge thanks to the Jack Quartets for being here. <laughs>